suffer a lot from grief, from the loss, sense of loss. There's a lot to be frightened of. If you have a lot of fear, don't think it's because you're a neurotic, screwed up person. There's a lot to be frightened of. Isn't there? You know, you go, out, you go out in the, you know, you get beat up, a brick can fall on top of your head, and lightning could do you in, or have a heart attack, or uh, people that, that you trust can disappoint you, and and so, I mean, there's, there's a whole, you know, there's a lot to, to, to fear. It's quite natural. Fear and, uh, and, and this sensitive state we're in. It's always kind of a, this, this sense of, of, of restless, uh, agitated feeling all the time of having a human body and being conscious. So then consider also that your your experience of life, as far as you're concerned, you are the center of the universe, as far as practically speaking, aren't you? Because you're the center point for your life. Even though you might think of yourself as as part of of the population, just one among many, as actual experience, you're the center, everything is impinging on you. It's like I'm, right now I'm impinging on you, my voice, and you look at me. I mean, you're the center. So, like, I'm con- we're contemplating the way it is, not complaining about it, saying there's anything wrong with it. Just noticing this is what we have to bear with as in this, in this uh, human experience. So we've got old age, sickness, death. We have to bear with that. We have to bear with loss of the loved. We have to bear with separation. Uh, from, we have to bear with having to be with what we don't like. There's a lot of things in life, physical, mental, uh, that we don't like. We have to. We have to put up with it. We have to coexist and get along with pain. With Sickness with pe- other difficult people, with family, with with uh, governments, societies, neighbors, friends, enemies, isn't it? So um, we also want things we don't have yet. We have a lot of desires, so we want. We can think of things we'd like that we don't have, and we suffer from wanting things that we don't have. So this is contemplating the way it is. Not a put-down, just just noticing. So then, say, we can interpret this in a highly personal way, which we do. If you notice modern Western society, is very everything's very personal. Your body is is very much mine. Everything it does is, 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 is highly involved with me. You know, my digestion, my sexual drive, my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my body, my this, my that. 
we're, we're kind of over the top in this kind of interpretation. Everything is, 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 is regarded in a highly personal way, as if it was just completely unique to you, co- totally yours, uh, and, uh, and identified uh, in this, with this me and mine, these pronouns. Where in, in, say, in, in Thailand, for example, they're more, because it is a Buddhist country, they, they think more in terms of people are like this. And so, they, I mean, they have, they have sometimes quite uh, an acceptance of, the, of human uh, foibles or weaknesses or experiences because they say, well, that's the way human beings are, you know, they like that. But, <laughs> but we, we take it, we can make everything very, very... Uh, you know, it's me. The fear I have is is mine. You know, I'm neurotic because I have fear. A sexual, the sexual drive is you know, it's my sexual drive, as if it's as if it was uh, you know, you created it. It's a natural drive, isn't it? The nature of the body, but you, it's mine. <laughs> and so we interpret it in 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 the terms of it being. You know whether we, you know, we're puritanical or, or cavalier about it, or modern or old-fashioned or whatever. But we we do create endless difficulties around food. Even interesting watching Westerners in in Thailand uh, because we we can feel guilty about being hungry. We think I'm greedy because I'm I like to eat food. Yeah, there's a kind of pejorative attitude there. Like, you know, there's something not very nice about me because I, I want, I, I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> Desire, isn't it? Where hunger is, is a function of the body. The body needs food, doesn't it? So it gets hungry. It's a natural thing. And so, so in terms of of reflecting, we're we're beginning to just observe the way it is, and 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 put it in a context of dhamma, which is a refuge, rather than in the highly uh, sensitive uh, form of me and mine, where we where we everything gets very complicated, convoluted, and difficult on the on the personal uh, personality, individual level that we that we oftentimes interpret experience, how we interpret experience from the ego. I notice like like being American, you you have a you you're brought up in a society that is that worships individuality. Like the my background is one of be independent. Don't be dependent on anybody. Prove yourself. Be an individual. Don't be like anyone else. You you have rights, and you're an individual. And this is stressed over and over by my parents, by my social background. Didn't, they never told me I had any duties or responsibilities to anything. That never that didn't occur to me until I became a Buddhist monk. But, but the, the 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 obsession was uh, I have my rights. I'm a free man, individual, unique personality. 
So this is this is the the kind of these are the perceptions you get from a, from that culture. So then, when you when that's how you perceive life and you interpret your experience, and it, I found that that way of thinking and that way of perceiving created a, a sense of as I got older of of very being very lonely because you're stressing individuality so much and yourself so much is it doesn't include doesn't there's no including anyone else into it and so it, it, it you get you know I suffered well I remember feeling incredibly lonely and alienated because there wasn't there wasn't experience in terms of of uh, you know is including things like even in marriage or something, there was still a, my rights were, were the dominant theme. <laughs> you couldn't even include, you know, an, your wife into your mind. <laughs> she was kind of there, and uh, but she, but there was no one wasn't perceiving things that uh, one didn't have the the kind of conditioning to include others. So it was, a, it was an extreme, definitely. But and notice in the, the like the third refuge in sangha is an inclusive refuge, isn't it? It's not my practice that I'm taking refuge in, my practice and my wisdom, but in sangha, in all all of us, you're we're all belong to each other. We're all in the Sangha together, there was a sense of a community, which is a, which breaks, which is a, which is a comforting perception, comforting refuge, because it it uh, you you feel connected to things again. You're not just caught in these very isolating perceptions, alienating perceptions of yourself. Well, there's certain good ways, good results of that kind of thinking, being an individual and so forth. I mean, I'm not, wasn't all bad. I had certain good results too. But, but just noticing how it does affect the mind. You know, how, what your social background, how you, you tend to perceive the, and interpret your life, not as a criticism, but just noticing what how it affects you, what you think of yourself. The the assumptions you have about yourself, the, your cultural conditioning, whatever it might be, just uh, that does influence your experience of life. You know, it's, it's like just the gender of your body, being male or female. <coughs> that that uh, is uh, something that, that influences experience. <coughs> the function of the body, with the, the masculinity factor or the femininity factor. And the identity with that. So you get in strong views about being male or female because of the nature of the body. And then and we we all we have male chauvinism and and 
obsessive obsessions about being woman or being a man or something like this come from identity, from a from holding views about masculinity, femininity, which you may not rea- you know you, you may have views about, it, but you're not really understanding what that really is as experience, and the fact that that it's not self. Being a man or woman is is a, even though your body it ha- has to be one or the other. That which is aware is not male or female. That pure intelligence is not, is not, uh, doesn't have a, a gender to it. So your refuge then is in this the Buddha, which is the awakening, the awareness. So like the the Buddha, the awakened one. The one who knows. This is the experience of knowing, isn't it? Where right now this subject-object experience. Your consciousness is that you're 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 a separate entity in the universe, human body, separate conscious entity from the time you're born to the time you you die. And so this is this is your uh, you know what what impinges what happens what comes to you you you're going to feel it the body as uh, it being male or female being young or old we identify with maybe race with the with the color of the skin or the or the class that we're told we belong to some particular group or caste. I mean, we're, we're identified with it, and these are these are these are come, come through thought, through cultural conditioning. I don't think of myself as Sri Lankan. Why is that? Because I wasn't conditioned to do it. Simple as that, or, or even if you've got black skin, uh, that which is aware isn't isn't black. Oh, what? <laughs> and so your refuge in Buddha is this 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 awareness, this perfect awareness. That of this ability to pay attention now. It's the ability to. It's just like that. Just like a listening, an alertness, where your, your mind is, is, is wide like that. It's like radar, it's picking up, it's, it's, it's a, on this wide beam, not aimed at anything in particular, but just in the state of poised awareness, as like refuge in Buddha, practically speaking. That's a real refuge. Because we can't go around with endless, you know, I'm a man and I'm an American and I'm a white man and I'm a Buddhist monk and I'm Ajahn Sumato and I'm... And, 
Venerable Suva Joe, and he's dying. He's that sister, um, sister uh, Tanasanti. <laughs> <laughs> she's American. And, uh, she's like this, and he's like that, and and Amravati's like this, and Chitras is like that, and English people are like this, and Scottish people are that way, and then French and Germans, and then there's Americans, and then there's Thais, and then there's working class and middle class and upper class. We become very complicated, don't we? Being a, a man, being a white man, an American, 62-year-old, uh, being middle class? No, no. <laughs> and uh, but I haven't lived there. I'm more I'm more used to Britain than America. Am I British? <laughs> lived in Thailand for a long time. I love Thailand. It's like you know, got a great great uh, heart uh, felt feeling for Thailand. My Thai. They know you're not Thai. You don't look like a Thai. <laughs> no, I'm British. No, you look American. <laughs> you go to America and they say, are you British? <laughs> <laughs> what am I? I don't know. It doesn't matter, does it? Because they the refuge is in the Buddha, not in any of these identities anymore. I don't care. There's no interest being being aligned with anything in particular. I don't mind, but it's no longer an important thing to be anything. <coughs> to be, you know, identified with with even Buddhism. So you're Theravadan. Uh, you get into the Buddhist world of Theravada Mahayana Vajrayana, <coughs> and, they, and, the, and everybody's got their opinions about that. The Buddha said, "Don't attach to opinions," and then Buddhists attach to all kinds of opinions. <laughs> so then Theravada, and Theravada, from the forest uh, tradition, Thailand, Ajahn Chah. And then what does that do? You know. It's a, it's another, it's another thing that, that one grasps. Or it, those things have, you know, have a reality. They do influence. There are perceptions, and one, uh, in conventionally speaking, is Theravadan. But it's, but it's no, it's, but it's, uh, it's merely a convention. It's not a, not an ultimate reality. It's not important, in other words, what you, what you want to call it. Because the refuge is in the Buddha, not in the Theravada. Taking refuge in Buddha, not in Theravada. Or refuge in Dhamma. So that's in the, in the, in the truth of the way it is. So in terms of, practically speaking, what is Dhamma right now? Well, when, we, when we're talking about... We're, we're pointing to the way things are, and the pattern of Dhamma is 
the conditions are all impermanent. The body, your human body, was born, gets old and dies. It's impermanent condition. Your, all your sense experiences are impermanent and transient. So, so what you see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, feel, all that is, is impermanent. Um, your, your emotional habits, all your conditioning, all your views and opinions, all these are, are impermanent. So the, 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 what we call the five aggregates, or the five khandhas, the, we contemplate these, the body, the feelings, the perceptual ability, the, uh, the uh, conceptual ability, the proliferating thinking mind, and then the, and then the um, consciousness. These are, these are all, their nature is impermanent. So we're seeing it in terms of Dhamma. And also Dhamma is not self. We're not seeing it my body, my feelings, my perceptions, my thoughts, my consciousness, but these are, these are they're just groups that we use. Rupa is body, you know. These are all these are all rupas here. When we get into personal, you know, this is my body. But when, when we're in terms of dhamma, then all these are rupas. And and uh, we and then uh, conventionally, then we call them that's that's uh, tanasanti that. Fair enough, but we're also looking at it in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of, of bringing the conventional realities as making those the ultimate truth. We're learning to look at things in a, in a much more clear and precise way. So, so that the conditioned realm that we, that's affecting us so strongly through the body and through consciousness is it's all changing and impermanent. And so the refuge isn't in any of the changing conditions, but in the ability to contemplate change, to see the da- taking refuge in Dhamma, because Dhamma includes the conditioned and the unconditioned. So what is the unconditioned? If it, the body is conditioned, everything you think, everything you feel, see, smell, taste, touch, it's condition. It's all changing. It's all impermanent. What is the unconditioned? Or the deathless. And so the Dhamma is also the unconditioned or the deathless. Uh, what is the ultimate truth? God you want. Some people don't. <laughs> or the deathless, or the unconditioned. And so, then, right now, what is the unconditioned? And of course, when you try to think of it, your th- any thought can't be the unconditioned. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> It's not an object, is it? But it's a realization. More and more you're moving into that realization, that deathless reality, by paying attention.
So you're, you're getting beyond death, birth and death, through awareness. So that's Dhamma. Your refuge is in the Dhamma, and the, the Buddha Dhamma, and then the Sangha. Sangha is, is what? Do good. We, we, we're the, all, we, can, we can expand this, uh, this word Sangha into all people who are doing good and refrain from doing bad, whether they're Christians or atheists or, or Mahayanists or, or Zenists or Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever. We're, we're recognizing the ability to good, refrain from doing evil. Is a is a beautiful that we can choose as human beings that we can we're not just helpless we're not just kind of conditioned creatures caught in the momentum of of our social conditioning just uh, you know that we have no way out of it because it isn't like right now on this retreat isn't it you're actually no matter how obsessed or how what your social cultural conditioning might be we're not. We're not trying to recondition you. We're not trying to get rid of your old conditioning and, and get put on and put on a new set of clothes, become a Buddhist or something, and get rid of the old, throw the old Christian ones away and become Buddhist. That's not what we're doing. That's not what I. I'm not. I don't want to do that to anyone. But we're. We're, we're, in terms of Dhamma, we're, we're, we're awake and watching, listening, observing, so that we're, we're, there's a natural intelligence there that, that, we can, that we're taking refuge in, the Dhamma. And to, and, but our, but the, the, the deal is that we do good and refrain from doing bad. Because we're we're taking responsibility for our lives now, for how we live our lives as human individuals. I'm going to determine to use my, my life, my body, my ability to speak, the influence I have on others, to try to use it for what is good rather than what is harmful. And to purify the mind, let go of the delusions that, that create the suffering Now, in, this is why in the, when, we, when we're talking about the immediacy of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, the here and now, because that's where you ask yourself, when you're investigating Dhamma or, or using this convention, ask yourself, what is it right now? If it's a refuge, then it has to be now. It's not just some kind of nice idea, some sentimental refuge that that isn't that uh, doesn't apply to this situation right now so you you're beginning to kind of really look and 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 look and pay attention to to the way things are to what's actually the way you know you actually uh, begin to see the buddha isn't isn't just a, a sentimental idea or some kind of of uh, 
ceremonial practice of Theravadan Buddhists or, or some dead sage 2,500 years ago. Because somebody might, you know, like they say about Jesus Christ, they're always trying to prove he never really lived. Or he didn't resurrect up into heaven. And people are always trying to have a go at the Christians. They're trying to deny that there's no record really of Jesus Christ ever even having lived. And so you see, it's all a farce. If Jesus Christ didn't live, then, then your religion's all, you know, it's wrong and not true. But this way, even if, even if they should prove that the sage Buddha never lived, it wouldn't really matter because you're not, we're not asking for you to believe in that one, but in to awaken to the way things are. That awakenness of mind. Just like right now, just the ability to listen to me. Just that attentiveness, trust in it. That, that that will get that will be a refuge for you no matter what's happening. No matter what's going on or what's coming off. Now in in uh, in any moment, for example, the the uh, things are impinging on us all at one time. And so, I mean, like there's the heat in the room. There's the visual things that are you know you're picking up through the eyes and through the ears and so forth. So, that, like this is a this is a like a a radio or a some kind of instrument picks up things. So if you remember when we were sitting here meditating this evening you heard these gunshots out there doing Anapanasati and peace, bang bang. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean you're <laughs> But also in in the moment, I mean, we can we can we can accept whatever impingements on us are there, but there's but we tend to attach to it. For example, if 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 at that time you were attached to to practicing anapanasati, then you might have resented the bang bang of the the shooting, or you, know, you can. Uh, when you get really into tranquility, you become incredibly selfish because you you want you don't want any noise at all. You want to sit there, and somebody coughs and you, you feel aversion. You know, you get, uh, this, when I I've done a lot of that, then I've you know I become really selfish person.
remember one winter's retreat here in, in this room where had Sister Upala, an old lady, old nun, and, and she used to love to come on these retreats and she'd sit there and uh, she'd make some noises. Yeah. You're thinking, now it's just so peaceful and quiet, no noise. And you're getting a nice state of tranquility. And then she makes a noise. <laughs> and then you feel almost murderous. Like, <laughs> why does she have to attend this? Why? He could just go back to her room and... Uh, <laughs> you, you're made... <laughs> Because you're attached to the idea of you, you don't want any noise, any disruption, <coughs> like sensory deprivation, uh, uh, where you, there's nothing aggravating, nothing, nothing uh, irritating, impinging on you. But in with mindfulness, it doesn't matter whether there's a, whether there's aggravating things because. The mind is 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 taking it all in and embracing everything, rather than than just trying to control everything. You see, so this is this is why the refuge is in, in mindfulness is the way to the death, is rather than concentration. Concentration or samadhi, in that sense of developing refined concentration, gets you very refined. You get increasingly more refined. But the pain of refinement in this realm is that, that the more refined you get, the more you suffer. Because if you're too refined, then the ordinariness of life is just too coarse for words. Isn't it? You just can't bear the vulgarity, the crudeness of life if you get too refined. So... Uh, if you're attached to that, then you, 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 you find, you, like I've, I've gotten very refined through meditation. And then just little things just kind of shatter your mind. Things that before wouldn't have bothered you because you, you're not, you, you weren't so refined and you, you developed this kind of high level of refinement and, and sensitivity where then just uh, the, just going into London is a kind of traumatic experience. So that's not that's not a refuge. It's refinement can't be a refuge. That that life is like this, isn't it? Having a human body, being human human society, planetary life, it, it has its course. There's refinement. There, there there's beauty. There's ugliness, pleasure and pain. So in in mindfulness, we're accepting the the whole range from the coarse to the refined. It's it's like we're embracing the totality of it, because this is because otherwise we we're always trying to control and and uh, manipulate things, uh, and 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 that is suffering. So always trying to be controlling everything. Uh, is is a, brings enormous amount of suffering and frustration and disappointment because in the end you can't do it, you fail inevitably fail at it. So contemplating this realm we're in, planet Earth is like this. 
we, the human body is like this. It, we, it, it's a coarse condition. I mean, it has to, it's, uh, its organs, its t- internal organs, digestive organs, excretory organs, sexual organs, uh, all these things, they're, n- they're in, in terms of, they, they can be considered crude or coarse. When we get into mental states, mental states get more and more refined, aesthetics, where we, we're taking beauty and refining it. And, and then to, and to very high level of, of concentration, where the, 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 what you're perceiving is just very, very fine. Is, it gives us great pleasure. But attachment to that is, is only makes us suffer a lot because this realm we live in isn't, it, it, you know, isn't that, I mean, it, it has that potential, but it's not, that's not the way it is, generally speaking. Normal life is more like this, isn't it? More like in a monastic life in Thailand, Hajan Chah the <laughs> emphasized ordinary daily life practice. He didn't even encourage us to go into refined states. But just to develop mindfulness around eating food, of going out on your arms round, of putting on your robes, making your robes, uh, walking, sitting, standing, lying down, working, we had to work, uh, and all this, just around the daily life of ordinary daily life of a of a monk in Thailand was the was what he was pointing to not towards some high level of refined concentration so then because of that then you have the ability to to uh, say see things in terms of dhamma of the way things are rather than in terms of whether you like or don't like them because we may not like the crudities, the coarseness, the irritation of the sense realm. We, not, we may not like that. We might like the bliss, uh, the, the beauty of, of refinement. But liking and disliking are, are dependent and not refuges. Don't take refuge in what you like. Because you, you, you'll be you're always frustrated because you'll end up with so many things you don't like. Isn't it? As soon as you really like something, then almost immediately what you don't like comes into, the, into your life. And I remember uh, meeting a man a few years ago in Italy, and he was a meditator. He says, Ajahn Sumedho, he says, I just want to tell you, he says, at this time in my life, this time in my life, I've never been so happy. He said, I have everything. I have a beautiful wife. We're in love still. We've been married. We have a ch- beautiful child. We've always wanted a child. And we at last have a, a little girl, a beautiful little girl, intelligent, perfect child. Love my job. I meditate. We live in a lovely place in Rome. Good friends. We're so happy. Everything's perfect. But I know it's going to change. (laughs) (laughs) 
So even then, you know, even in the, at the peak moment of his life, where everything is perfect, there's the other side, isn't there? You get, you, when you have one, you get the other. Because you know that it, you can't sustain that perfection. Life isn't going to stay where, where you just love each other all the time. The little girl is pretty and good and, and marvelous all the time, and you love your job and everything's going well. That things change, and you know that. So even at the peak moment, there's always this anxiety. If you notice, that even in, in the midst of a, of a great success, along with that success comes the fear of loss and failure. So that, that's why your refuge isn't in, even in, in success, because it's impermanent. And, and there's always the, the fear, if you attach to it being successful, there's always the fear of, of, of failure. Even before you are a failure, even before you fail anything, you get it. So, then that's the way the world is. You, you, you don't just get one, you get both, the good and the bad, pleasure and pain. <coughs> So the refuge then isn't in beauty, refinement, uh, the best, but in the but in this ability to um, pay attention to life in, in in whatever way you're experiencing it, because ugliness and beauty they're impermanent, pleasure and pain are impermanent. Success and failure are impermanent. And so that is a constant factor in, 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 any, in every moment, isn't it? That Just that attempt, being able to pay attention. It's, it's like a... It, and, and they call this, they call the door to the deathless, or the, or the pure presence is ever transcending. They call it transcending the death, the death-bound conditions. These are different ways of talking about it. But the, 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 the ability we all have is in the deathless, in the, 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 the door, the key to the deathless is in this attentiveness, paying attention, sustained awareness. Then, then from there we can, we can deal with the changing conditions that we're experiencing. Praise the blame, the success, the failure, the good health, the bad health, the loss of the love. All these things we can bear. They're not. They're nothing we can't bear if we have this refuge. So in this way, you, when you when you realize this refuge, then you 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 feel a sense of fearlessness. Where before, as a person, I was frightened out of my wits about everything. Incredible fears and anxieties as a personality. Worried about what other people thinking of me, whether people liked me, whether uh, worried about what they were saying about me, and what, what, uh, whether I could be a success in the world or not. Was I? Well, you know, all kinds of worries and anxieties and 
feelings of insecurity, inferiority, made me very kind of cowardly and frightened and controlling, manipulating my life. You know, might, might get hurt. Might be hurt my life and I didn't want to be hurt. Now in this way, in this refuge then, the, the, uh, the, that doesn't matter. Being hurt isn't... I can be hurt. There's no reason why I have to spend my life frightened of being hurt. I've been hurt many times. I can take it. It's Dhamma. So there's a kind of fearlessness that, that one experiences. Because you, you don't, you're, no fr- you're not frightened by, by the possibilities of failure, of loss, of, of whatever in the, that, you, that you are frightened of as a person, as a conditioned personality. I, I, th- I think it's very, uh, to me now, after all these years, 30 years as a monk, I mean, Buddha Dhamma Sangha is the most profound realization. <laughs> and uh, I mean, uh, I just want to share this with you, you know, because it's, it, is a, it is a pattern that's very important. Notice that, that it, it's a kind of paradigm of consciousness. The Buddha knows the Dhamma. So, I mean, it's like, like each one of us is, is conscious and we, but we tend to interpret things, what, what, what impinges, what happens to us, we interpret it in deluded ways on the personal level. So it all gets very confused and neurotic and complicated and difficult, convoluted and so forth. But now we're taking conscious experience and putting it in context of Buddha, which is the pure state, pure knowing, pure awareness. Seeing the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. So your refuge then is in, is in the, in the, is is a very practical one, following the uh, the paradigm that we're all experiencing of conscious, of being subject, the subject-object experience. of life, being a, an entity that, ex- that is experiencing everything. So then the experience is, is, is now, the Buddha is, there's the wisdom, the seeing things as they are, knowing things as they are, wisdom, mindfulness wisdom, and what happens to us, the experience of life is all Dhamma. So, uh, loss of a loved one is Dhamma. Uh, getting old is Dhamma. Uh, cancer is Dhamma. All these things. <laughs> We're seeing things in terms of Dhamma. And, and therefore this, this is, means that, that, that our whole life span is, is, a, is this development of wisdom. Whatever happens to you is is not an ob- is not is not an obstruction for enlightenment, like getting cancer or 
AIDS or something like that is not an, obst is not an obstacle to enlightenment. It's, uh, the only obst obstruction is ignorance. Ignorance and the selfishness that results from that. So I mean, that's the obstruction. But the, but the actual experiences of life, there's not, nothing that can happen to you that is, that, that is an obstruction in itself. It's how you, you see it, how you, what you learn from it. If you put it in the context of Dhamma, that means you can, you can you, even the most unpleasant, unwanted experiences can be very helpful to us. And that sometimes being criticized, being humiliated, uh, and that can be really awaken you to life. Because it's strange. Looking back over over my life, I I I see you know even the the bad parts. I feel gratitude for for the the challenges for the for the uh, for the unfairness, the, the miseries that I've experienced in life. Now, instead of feeling resentful and, and carrying resentment around, I just have a strange feeling of gratitude. Because uh, it, it's, uh, you realize there's something in you that rises up, that, that grows in strength and gets strong through difficulties, through disappointment, through... through uh, challenges. Remember, you know, as a little child thinking, please God, make my life so that I, I only have happiness and comfort and everything I want, success, a good health, I want good health all my life. I want to have all beautiful things around me, don't want any ugliness for my whole lifetime, don't want any pain, physical pain and sickness, I don't want any of that, I want, to, I want uh, only success and praise and happiness. I want to have lots of good friends that love me and, and that praise me and uh, make my life pleasant, make me feel good. Like a child's dream. And that, so that we, but in, in uh, experience of life, it's not like that, is it? <laughs> 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 and I've had a pretty good life in my life. I have very little to complain about in terms of the actual conditions of it affecting me. You know, the fairly good fortune in life, but the but the suffering still the way we one gets hurt by being criticized or being misunderstood or or gossip and or unfairness things peop people can be they, life can be very unfair to us and there's a lot to resent and and fear and despise in, in human experience, both w oneself, what one does, and what people do to you. 
But in terms of Dhamma, then it's not a problem because we're, we're putting it in a context that where, we, where we learn from it, where we, where we strengthen ourselves through the difficulties, through the unfairnesses, through the, through the ordeals of life. And then the happy moments and the, the good parts, we're not holding to that either. We're not saying, we're not jumping for joy and just, you know, holding on to, to good success and happiness and good health. But we, we can appreciate it when we have it without grasping it. So contemplate this, and you know, the, the the refuges are something you you have to think about and and make them work for you, apply them to your experience. They're not not asking you to believe in them or or you know, not magical formulas that you if you say over and over again they'll have some you know marvelous effect on your life. But they're 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 there for, for you to to apply, kind of internalize them. In this moment, what is Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha? As far as my experience right now is concerned. Refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, what does that mean right now, in, at this moment, in terms of experience, and this experience here? Now in the practice, say, of, of uh, meditation, it, uh, it, as you calm down, I'll, I'll give more instruction, but the, the main emphasis is, is toward first to develop a level of calm and a sense of well-being, and uh, which when your reflective capacities then start working in the is you're not just struggling with with yourself all the time. So you begin to c- contemplate uh, your experiences that you're having here in, t- as in terms of Dhamma. And then as you do that more and more, you begin to, to have the insight into the way things are. So insight, insight meditate, or vipassana, is like insight is a real seeing things in a, in a clear and direct way. It's not knowing about things that, some, you know, like having knowledge that about things. It's, it's knowing the, the knowing. It's a direct knowing. Insight knowledge. Jnana dasana. It's profound knowledge. It's not accumulated knowledge about things that you, that you get through studying a subject. But it's through, through this kind of uh, real openness and the development using wisdom that you, you have an under, a profound understanding. That changes you, the way you relate and interpret your experience of life. So this evening, that's enough for this evening, and...
We can uh, go and rest. And remember the fourth uh, posture is lying down. So mindfulness uh, lying down. So that's train yourself like when you lie down to, to, to notice what lying down is. And the body is supported by the bed. It's harder to be mindful in that posture because it's so comfortable. You want to just go off into sleep and it will obliterate yourself rather than pay attention to the desire to obliterate yourself. And sometimes if you got insomnia, then you, you, you really get averse, don't you? Because you can't obliterate yourself. You have to lay there and be somebody in bed <laughs> that can't sleep. It's hell. <laughs> and then in the morning, we have the We'll meet again uh, here at, what, 5.30? And so, morning chanting. And the, uh, these, these chants, if we're contemplated, they're, they're, they're translated into English, and so it's, it's for the, this Buddha Dhamma Sangha. That's mainly the emphasis. So that, but but recognize that we're not trying to convert you into believing that there's somebody called Buddha or a Buddha force, but you know, you're taking the, this, this, this perception of Buddha and then you're, you're, it's called internalizing. What is, what is that as far as experience goes? It's pointing to a reality. It's not just a, a, a kind of airy-fairy doctrine. 